Well, friends, if you would, if you haven't already, open your Bibles with me. Open your Bibles with me. And today, our key passage of Scripture is in Luke, Luke 23, 35 through 43. If you're looking in your worship folder, um, in the top left, you see that in our sermon series, Following Jesus, we're Matthew this week, John next week, then we'll, or we're Luke this week, John next week, then we'll be Matthew and Mark and Luke. And all these together, and why are we doing this, is because each gospel writer tells a little more detail than the other about certain parts of the story. None of them have it all, but when we put all four together as witnesses and storytellers, we get this harmony of the gospels approach that we're following and following Jesus. And so as you're there, let me read to you another passage of Scripture as a blessing to you. It's Galatians 1, 3 through 5. Grace and peace to you from God our Father, And the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of God, our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. God, our Father, as Paul pronounced this blessing of peace on the church at Galatia, so many Years ago. And he mentions who Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, our Lord, and what Jesus did, gave himself for our sins, and why Jesus did it to rescue us from this present evil age. Because it was your will, God. It was your will that we, your creatures, created in your eternal spiritual image would have an opportunity to be saved from the evil of this age and the sinfulness that each and every one of us live within. So God, we worship you for who you are. We praise you for what you have done. And we thank you that we get to come to this place in the name of our one and only Lord and Savior, Jesus, who saves It's in his name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. That's our idea today. And you've got your scripture memory verse of the month. And we'll ask Seth to go back there. The scripture memory verse of the month is uh, not from one of our gospel texts, but it comments on that. And that's 1 Peter 3.18. Let's say it together. 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for our sins the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the Spirit. 1 Peter 3.18 The sermons I'll be preaching to you this month focus on Christ's death on the cross and what it means. Two weeks from now, I won't be here, and uh, Mark Bogan will be preaching, and I don't know what Mark is preaching on yet. Seems like he doesn't know yet either. He's going to keep it a secret. So you'll have to come two weeks from now to hear that sermon. But today we focus in on Jesus' death on the cross and what it means for us. And that's in Luke 23, and you're already there, and I need to go there. And if you're able to stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word, would you stand together as we read Luke 23, verses 35 through 43. Says the people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him, Jesus. 
They said to him, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine and vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Therefore, or there was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said? Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, or then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Verse 43, Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. May God add to the reading of his word. You can be seated. So we pick up the story from last week. And if you weren't here last week, you may gather from where we started that Jesus has been nailed to the cross. And we're observing what happens when Jesus is on the cross. The reason we take this story from Luke is Luke includes the details of the conversation of the criminals on either side of Jesus with Jesus. And though the other gospels mention it, they do not tell of the words or the exchange. But as I observe this, knowing what I know about Jesus and believe about Jesus, that he is God's one and only son, that he has all power, that he could have presumptively called down a legion of angels at any time, I had some questions for myself, and I share those questions with you. And that first one is why? Why did Jesus stay on the cross? Why did Jesus stay on the cross? He could have gotten off. He didn't have to go. But why did he stay on the cross? Verse 35, it says, the people stood watching and the rulers even sneered. It's talking about the Jewish leaders. The rulers even sneered at him. They said he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, if he is the chosen one. It was unwitting that they echoed what Psalms said. Written almost a thousand years before this time, Psalm 22, verses 6 through 8. I'll just read it to you. You can write that down. Psalm 22, verse 6 through 8. It says, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. God in his providence had David write that in Psalm 22 of Jesus. And knowing the wickedness of the Jewish rulers that would sneer and hurl insults at Jesus while on the cross. Though he could save himself, they made fun of him. They mocked him. If this is going on, why did Jesus stay? Why not just be like, all right, I'm miraculously coming off this cross. These nails aren't going to hold me here. And just as I could heal other people from other sins, sicknesses, and disease, just as I could raise people from the dead, I'm not yet dead. I'm going to heal myself. I'm going to keep myself from dying. I'm coming down from here. But notice their ironic admission. It said, he saved others. Even the people accusing Jesus are admitting that he had the power of salvation, the power of healing. They said, let him 
save himself. Verse 36. The soldiers following the lead of the Jewish rulers there also came up and mocked him. They'd offered him wine vinegar. Now previously they'd offered him something else as recorded in John 19. We'll get there next week just before his death. But they're mocking him as well. Again, there's a psalm that prophesies this in Psalm 69 verse 21. Of what they would do and how they would do that. Jesus has been built, beaten where he's almost unrecognizable as a person. He's near death. He can't even carry the cross beam to the place of crucifixion. And they're making fun of him. Why? Why would he stay? Well, your first answer your first answer that why would he say is to save us. Jesus stayed to save us. You might cross through the us and write me. Capital M, capital E. Jesus came, stayed on the cross to save me. God in his wisdom as harsh as it may seem, had set up a system where there needed to be a sacrifice and blood shed to pay the penalties for sin. And in the Old Testament, that was lamb after lamb or dove after dove and different types of offering for different types of sin and different types of need. But Jesus would die once for all, the just for the unjust, to bring us to God. God loves us. And Jesus stayed on the cross in order to pay the penalty for our sins. Which begs the question, and that's your next point. Have I trusted Him as my Savior? Have I trusted Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior? And as I say most Sunday, most of you are here because you have trusted Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord. You're a believer in Jesus. And though you may admit, and I hope you do, that you are sinful and you are imperfect and that you're still on the way, and that's one of the many reasons you come to church regularly is so you can learn more and be challenged and encouraged and worship and all the things we do here together. Most of you have trusted Jesus as your Savior, but there's a few of you here today who've never trusted Christ as your Savior. That if you were to die today, you would go to eternity in hell, separated from God forever. We talk about things like this because that's not important. Now, there are some that are so young that they're not yet to what we might refer to as the age of accountability. They don't fully understand yet. They're not aware of the fact that they are sinners as well. And children, maybe the innocent, those that because of some sort of something we would call a disability, can't think on the same level as an older child, a teenager, or as an adult. But there are others that you're old enough to know that you've sinned and that your sin brings punishment and condemnation. And you're old enough to process and accept Jesus as your Savior if you will. So our first question there is why? Why would Jesus stay on the cross? The second question I had comes from verse 37. And that's how did he stay on the cross? 
That's not, did the nails hold him up? But how did he stay on the cross? In the midst of all this, how did he stay on the cross? Look at verse 37. What does it say? It says, and they said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Jesus is in agony from being beaten near to death. And they're mocking him saying, save yourself. What amazing restraint. Because he could have saved himself. What depth of love. Because he could have got off the cross. What commitment to the purpose that God called him to. To die a cruel, wicked, terrible. I can't come up with the right words for it. Death. But how did he stay on the cross? I've got one answer. Two words. Amazing love. We sang the song, Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone, because of the grace that Jesus has and because of the way He set us free. But it's because of His amazing love that He stayed on the cross. That Jesus loved us enough to suffer such a terrible grace. Think about the song, Jesus Loves Me. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong because they are weak and he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. That's you. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what's been done to you, Jesus loves you. And Jesus died to save you. So your question is, how do I respond to such love? How do I respond to such love? Do I mock and sneer at such love? Do I make fun of it because I don't have all my intellectual questions answered? Because I think the Bible is full of myths and fables. And I'd rather... Not try to see if it's honest. Or am I broken and humble to consider that though I'm a sinner, Jesus died for me. And I respond by asking him if he might save me. And if his love is for me. The answer is yes. He did die for you. He does love you. He will save you. You can trust Him in salvation. You can obey Him as a Christ follower. And you can love like Him as well. The Bible says that as growing Christ followers in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, that the love of Christ can control us. And that we've concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died on their behalf. That because we realize Jesus loves us, because we realize Jesus died for us, we can live for him and should live for him. And so we've asked, why did he stay on the cross? We asked, how did he stay on the cross? But now I've got a question of understanding and reality. 
And that third major question on your outline there is who was Jesus on the cross? We'd like, what do you mean, who was Jesus on the cross? Well, he was Jesus, Pastor Aaron. We know what he did. Yeah, but you you know, you've been to church, right? But look at the reason I say this. Verse 38 in your Bible, what does it say? There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. Verse 38, this is the king of the Jews. Now, it was common for Romans when they crucified someone, to have a sign above them on the cross that said the reason they were crucified for. Think about it. It would be highly effective for for preventing that kind of crime, right? If you were thinking about robbing somebody's home, you're walking down the road, you see a guy hanging there dead or near dead, and above him it says he robbed somebody's home, you might think, "Mm, I'm not going to rob somebody's home. You're going to think about doing something else nefarious or ugly or terrible. You see it written on a sign above a dead person. You're probably not going to do it, or at least you'll think twice. But Jesus, Pilate, the Roman procurator, governor, had written, he is the king of the Jews. Now, we know from Scripture, uh, the other Gospels, that the Jewish leaders argued with him and wanted to say he claimed to be the king of the Jews. Not that he is, but Pilate, to put it in their face as the Jewish people, and maybe because he believed it, wrote, this is the king of the Jews. So no matter what Pilate's intent was, no matter what the wishes of the Jewish leaders were, this is what was written, and all four different gospels record it, and they record it as written slightly differently, but it was written in Aramaic and Latin and Greek, three common languages of the time there, that he is the king of the Jews. Pilate, when he was asked why he wrote it, said, I have written what I have written. It was almost as if he was spiteful or vengeful against the Jewish leaders. But here's the interesting thing, the reason I ask, who was Jesus? Pilate unwittingly declared the truth. Jesus was the king of the Jews. When David became king thousands of years before Jesus. Well, not quite thousands, but more than a thousand years. David wanted to build the temple to worship God in, and God said, no, you've shed blood. You can't do that. I'm going to let your son Solomon do that. But I do give you this promise, David. This is in 1 Samuel 24. You will have someone on the throne forever. The house and line of David God was referring to Jesus, the king of the Jews, and heir of David, who is the eternal king and savior of all that there ever was. Your answer there for your question, the next blanks to fill on in your outline is, who is Jesus on the cross? He was the savior king. He is the savior king. That's who he is. Thinking back to Isaiah 53, verse 9, it says, He was assigned a grave of the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. 1 Peter chapter 2, write that one down. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22 and 23, quotes Isaiah 53. It says, He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. And then Peter makes his commentary on it. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him, God, who judges justly. Jesus did exactly what the scripture prophesied. 
He didn't have anything to say that was ugly or arguing while he was on the cross. Because he was the Savior King. And he was doing what was prophesied. And he trusted God his Father. Your application question there is how do I know he is the Savior? In your own life, not because I tell you so, but how do you know that Jesus is the Savior? You might say, well, because I know he saves me. You might say, because it says so in the Bible. You might say, because I've seen the testimony in the lives of others. You might say any number of things. But do you have personal experience or observation or belief that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? So we had our three questions. Why? Did he stay on the cross? How did he stay on the cross? Plus, who was he on the cross? Now let's move to our fourth question. And that's, how was Jesus treated on the cross? We've got some of that already in our passage of Scripture. He was sneered at. He was mocked. But look at verse 39, 40, and 41. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insights at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself. Verse 40, the other criminal rebuked him. Let's go back to the first criminal. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself. He presupposes the answer, but it's with bitter sarcasm. Since he calls on Jesus to save them without truly believing that Jesus is the Savior, at least he doesn't think so, he too, on the cross, being crucified, is mocking Jesus. This is no different than a bully on the playground, except it's infinitely worse because it's Jesus, the Savior of the world. Save yourself and save us too, he says. But notice the other criminal, verse 40. The other criminal rebuked him. You've got to love the word rebuke. Put you in your place. Shut your mouth. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence. And he says, we're punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. When things get really hard, when you get between a rock and a hard place, When you're in a foxhole and the shells are flying, you might call out to a God who you previously didn't believe in, or at least you say you didn't. You might have what we would see as a conversion experience. When you finally realize that you're not the end-all, be-all. When you finally realize that you're not it. When you finally realize you need a Savior beyond yourself. And whether it was quite that way or not, this other criminal seems to have belief in who Jesus is and what he said. And he speaks for probably a good portion of the population of Jerusalem that they believe Jesus was innocent and he didn't deserve to be killed on the cross. Remember, three times even Pilate basically pronounced Jesus innocent. He was trying to wiggle his way out of having to crucify him. Even Herod realized that Jesus uh, was innocent. And here this thief on the cross realizes that as well and proclaims that to the other thief and to all listening who might have heard his voice. 
He was honest. He was humble. He was broken. The thief on the cross demonstrates for us what every person needs, especially adults in coming to faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. You've got to be honest about your own sinfulness. You've got to be broken about the mess that is your life. You've got to admit you don't know all the answers, but have faith in somebody who does. And what we see happen next, what we're seeing happening here, I should say, is such a beautiful picture of grace. When we consider these two people, the next point on your outline, when we ask the question, how is Jesus treated on the cross? He was treated both terribly and honorably. Think about it. He had the Jewish leaders speaking terribly, sneering at him, the Bible says. He had the soldiers mocking him, the Bible says. He had the thief making fun of him, the Bible says. That's terrible. But then you have this other thief honoring Jesus for who he is. You have those at the foot of the cross who we'll talk about in the weeks ahead, worshiping Jesus and mourning him for who he is, both terribly and honorably right at the same moment. So your question there is, how do I relate to Jesus? How do I relate to Jesus? If this is who Jesus is, he is the Christ who died on the cross, a terrible death to save me from my sins, and I'm a sinner. Do I relate to him in a terrible way in which I mock him, sneer at him, make fun of him? Or am I honest and humble and broken before him? Maybe you're somewhere in the middle. But your indifference is the same as hate. If you choose not to take a stand and believe who Jesus is based on what he says in the Bible. All of us are encouraged to live like Christ in that way. Philippians chapter 2, if you want to turn there. Philippians chapter 2 says of Jesus that if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, you are a believer in His already, a Christ follower. If any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with His Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete, Paul writing to the church at Philippi, by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. And then he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Paul is saying that if you're going to be like Jesus, even in relation to Jesus, you need to consider others better. Be humble. And he says in verse 4, each of you should not look also to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Humble. Verse 5, he says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And then he gives us an example of Jesus' humility. Philippians 2.6. Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
Jesus is our ultimate example of humbling ourselves. But we have to humble ourselves before Jesus to confess our sins, our self sufficiency, our arrogance, and our pride, and humbly come asking Him to save us from ourselves. You've got a final question this morning. Your final question on your outline is, what could Jesus give on the cross? Back to our key passage of Scripture today in Luke chapter 23, verses 42 and 43. What could Jesus give on the cross? Remember, we just had the second thief confronting the first thief and says, we are getting punished for what we deserve, but not this man. He's innocent. He's done nothing wrong. And what does he say then? Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Verse 43, Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. So my question there is, what did Jesus have to give on the cross? The man says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He's not a theologian. He doesn't know when eternity will be. But he believes there's something different about Jesus. And he calls out, even as a dying thief on the cross next to Jesus, being justly punished for breaking the law, Jesus, will you remember me when you come into eternity? And Jesus says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, there's been some debate. Is he only going to be there for one day? Because, you know, he didn't go to church his whole life and do good things. No. What Jesus is saying is right now today, when I die today, I'm going to be in heaven. And when you die today, you're going to be in heaven with me. Today, you're going to be with me. And it will be forever in eternal paradise. Not just one day. This word paradise is used by other New Testament writers as well to speak about what heaven is like. So he's not talking about a halfway heaven or something like Catholics may teach. You know, he's got part of the way there and we've got to pray really hard to get him the rest of the way there. No, that's faulty theology. You can't build theology from one scripture and they have and that's why they in heresy there. But today you'll be with me in paradise and forever is what Jesus is saying. What could Jesus give on the cross? Your answer there is eternal salvation. Even on the cross, the answer is eternal salvation. Seth will put that up on the screen for us. Eternal salvation is what Jesus gives us on the cross. Even when he's dying, he can give salvation to anyone who asks. The redemption of the thief on the cross makes clear. It's not by works that anyone is saved. It is by grace. God's amazing grace. That your chains are gone. That you're set free. And that you are saved for eternity. The hope of heaven is beyond our expectation of anything we could do. Or anything we could earn. Or anything we could buy. It's by grace you are saved. Through faith. That's eternal salvation. So then you've got a final question by means of conclusion. And that final question is, does he still save 
people today. Just in case you're wondering, okay, this happened right here on the cross, and you're telling us, Pastor Aaron, about other people who have already been saved and are sitting here in the pews in this room with me. Can I be saved? Does he still save today? Let me ask you to turn to Romans with me. Everybody, turn to Romans. Don't put up your Bibles yet. Don't put up your outline. Come on, hang with me just another minute or two. Romans 3.23. Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All means all. Every person who ever lived, you are a part of all. You have sinned. And if you think you haven't sinned, you just lied, and so you admitted you are a sinner. All have sinned. But look at Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even in your sin, because of your sin, Jesus died for you. Not because of anything you could do or earn, but because you were a sinner, Christ died for you. Romans 6.23. Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of those sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Your sin earns you the wage of eternal death and separation from God in hell. But God gives you a gift. Gift is different than a wage. Wage you earn. Gift is given freely. God gives you the gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 10, verse 9 and 10. Because you might be saying, okay, I give, Pastor. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Jesus can give me that gift. How do I do it? Here it is right here. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Can I get an amen? For it is with your heart you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth you confess and are saved. Two things. Confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead. Then you're saved. Does Jesus still save people? Yes. Does He save them even today? Yes. Are you willing, if you have not yet trusted Christ as your Savior, to ask Him to do so today? I can't answer that yes for you. You have to. Let's pray. God, our Father, we're humbled that your word that was written almost 2,000 years ago is true today, that Jesus saves. That no matter who we are and no matter what we have done, that you love us and that you demonstrate your love for us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that you give us the gift of eternal life, salvation for eternity, if we'd only ask. If we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart, God raised him from the dead. So God, our Father, I pray that right now today, there would be someone, some ones, who would say, yes, I need to ask Jesus to save me from my sins. Or yes, I already have asked him to save me from my sins. I need to follow him in believer's baptism. Would we obey you today now, Father? In Jesus' name, amen.